Hi everybody, this is Dan and Chris back with another episode of A Father's Love Healing Through Heartache. Uh, Chris and I, if you followed us, we're, we're two dads who have lost our sons in the last few years. Um, Chris lost Miles at seven years old, I lost Jameson at nine years old, and we've started this podcast. We're in season two, just trying to share our journey of grief and how we cope with the day-to-day struggles of taking one step at a time. And we we like to have guests on whenever we can, and we're thrilled today to have a good friend of mine, Elliot, on. He's going to join us. He is actually joining us from Anger, North Carolina, where Erica and I moved from that area a few years ago, right before we came to the mountains. And um, without further ado, I'll say hello to Chris. Good to see you again. Hello, Dan. As always, great to be with you. Thanks. And we're going to just kick it right off with Elliot. Um, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us. We love having people on here to share your story and your, um, your journey of grief. So with that said, I'll turn it over to you to tell us about your loss and whatever you want. The floor is yours. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Um, so I'm just going to kind of share about my loss. And when I was thinking about my loss, I was like, when do I start? You know, first, God created the heavens and earth. No, that was too far back. Um, so I was thinking, like, where, where do I start with my loss? And my loss starts before birth. Um which seems odd as how can you have lost before you're born? Um, I, you know, I was a product of a high school relationship. Um, and at birth, uh, my biological father's side said, you know, mm-mm, not into that. Um, they talked about different ways um, for me not to be around. Uh, you know, I was kind of a, an asterisk on an otherwise good school career for my mother and biological father. Um, where I was kind of seen as a, an issue, um, even though I did nothing, you know, <laughs> uh, nothing, I had no, no effect in it other than, you know, being born with a live heartbeat. So, uh, it was hard to be someone, um, and you wonder why, you know, baby is the most innocent of all people. Um, with the exception of a midnight cry, how could, how could you be the one at fault? And that, that was something that, you know, I grew up with wondering a lot. Um, fast forwarding through that around two years, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 24 to 28 months. Um, or actually, let me go back. My mom, you know, she was asked, looking at different ways um, to raise me, you know, single mother in poor small town, Pennsylvania, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. There's not a lot. There's not a lot you can do. 19 years old, uh, trying to figure out life as it is. And then baby, and now I was a cute baby, so I was worth keeping, but still, you know, you got to look at it, uh, and figure out how to move forward. It's not, it's not just about you. And, you know, in those, those late teens, early twenties that you think it's only about you, that's hard. My mom did the best she could. She, um, after a lot of pros and cons weighing and the help of her older sisters, um, it was, it was decided that she would keep me. And, uh, you know, I tell you, uh, I, I'm eternally grateful for that because, um, other options, you know, would have been, uh, uh, you know, for a white male, uh, my mom was offered a lot of money via adoption, um, for me that she gracefully turned down as well as, you know, everyone weighs, um, 
well, on my father's biological father's side, not my mother's side, but um, they suggested abortion. Um, and you would think on both sides, both being good Christian families, good Christian families or whatever you want to call that, um, that'd be the last thing on your mind, man, you know? So that, that was interesting. And mom was like, no, this is my son, Elliot. This is what it is. Um, and she did really right by me. I believe, you know, I turned out all right. Um, fast forward you know, a little bit. Mom's talking to her pastor who I owe a lot of my life to, um, in the way that he, he helped my mom, you know, a lot of churches are like, well, you had a child out of wedlock. This is, this isn't appropriate. That's not wanting to help. However, he saw this opportunity as we do help, you know, that that's in scripture that you would help, um, in, in these situations. And our pastor did, he said, you know, I, I know you're worried about him not having a male role model in his life. Um, at that point, um, roughly about that t- time, her father had passed, um, and, uh, her stepfather, very busy man, uh, he was a tow truck driver. So there wasn't a lot of male role model options. Her pastor said, you know, God will present a man when, when Elliot needs him. It wasn't, it wasn't ever God will present a man when you need him. When Elliot needs that father figure, that man will come forward. And that's when, um, my, my stepfather, who all I've ever known him to be is, uh, my dad. Um, I have no recollection of ever seeing my biological father. Um, and all, all I knew is my stepdad, he was my father and, um, not to get too sidetracked, but you know, also I'm a school teacher and I, I think about kids. Um, they say my real father, I'm going to see my real father this weekend. And I, the real father definition is so skewed your real father's not who gave birth to you your real father's the one who was always there (laughs) and um that you know that's hard for kids to see they're not trying to hurt any feelings it's just one of those understandings that they have to they have to figure out themselves at some point can you guide them to understand that regardless of who helped create you it's who's there man who who took you to softball practice who helped you with your math homework who who taught you how to do anything you know how, how to do um that, that's your real father. Uh, so enter my real father. Um, shortly after the 28-month um, point in my life, uh, my mom <laughs> was silly and took me on one of their first dates. And it was going well for them. I don't have any recollection of it going well for them. I took my mom's lipstick out of her purse. Um, I don't know how to use lipstick. Still don't. Um but I drew all over his car with it. I said, Hey guy, I just wiped lipstick all over your car. And my mom thought that's it. That's done. Um, and that was one of the first of many ways that, uh, my, my dad was very understanding of, you know, the mistakes that are made, um, uh, as being a father figure, you know, you know, he, he was understanding that, you know, a child can make a mistake and he was okay with it. You know, my mom, said she drove home that day thinking that's it never going to hear from him again uh (laughs) and i think she said he called her later that night or the following day and she she said she was shocked um fast forwarding a little bit uh you know they got married uh uh, on june 10th which to this day i believe is the hottest day on record um in pennsylvania and the only reason that's important is because the ac went out that morning at the church they got married at (laughs) 
so it was a mess. But that was another time where, you know, dad was just accepting. Mom was okay with it. You know, they figured it out. They made do. And I was there. I, I was supposed to be in the wedding, but I would not come out from under one of the sets of chairs um, that was off on the auxiliary part of the um, sanctuary. And I remember two deacons, one sitting on either side of me, making sure <laughs> I didn't just disappear. Um, but I remember that, you know, um, and then moving forward a little bit, uh, you know, we, we moved into my dad's house. Um, it was a nice little ranch house in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And that was one of those times where he, you know, he started teaching me things, you know, um, anytime he would build stuff the the down, the downstairs of the ranch, um, I guess it was considered, um, a ranch because it was more of a basement than a first and second floor, um, was unfinished. And he, he started refinishing it for an office and he showed us, well, me at the time, because Evan, my brother and sisters, Evan Hadley were not born yet, you know, how to start working with your hands. And that was one of those things I'm grateful for, you know. He taught me many things, but how to work with your hands and build things was very important. But, you know, not only were we building parts of a room, we were building bonds. Um, one of the nights I remember he showed me, <laughs> we didn't have a workbench we were using, and he showed me that we needed to cut a piece of wood to put into um, the wall to stabilize some uh, built-in bookshelves he was building. And I cut my finger and I told him, you know, I'm done with this. I'm not helping you anymore. You didn't tell me I could get hurt. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we stopped, uh, and we kind of talked it through. He's like, you know, you're okay. You're going to be all right. And that was another time where he just really chimed in and, uh, reassured. I haven't thought about some of these things for a while. <laughs> um, you know, he was just always there teaching different things. Um, having my back on things I remember reluctantly in Pennsylvania. We lived on roughly four acres in the woods. Wasn't uncommon to see black bear in our yard. Um, many a time we'd <laughs> have to go out and get our trash cans and, you know, rake everything up that a black bear had visited the night before. Um, just very rural, uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And, um, I asked for a BB gun and mom was like, no, my mom was very much a Christmas story. You'll shoot your eye out. My dad was like, you won't know unless you try, let's try it. And, um, I, I set up, I got a hundred army man from the dollar tree for a buck, set him up on a, on a shelf. And I was pinging these things. Um, I was like, this is great. Um, after I knocked a handful down, I loaded the little BB gun I had and went and set up the army men and um enter the next time my dad helped me with a mistake uh my little brother who couldn't have been more than like kindergarten age decided he would pick it up and he pulled the trigger and it caught me right here in the chest and i was furious i wasn't mad um like i wasn't hurt i was surprised um just bb gun surprised and i was like i'm telling mom uh enter dad chiming in saying you know you tell her you can kiss that BB gun goodbye. You'll never shoot it again. And that was another moment where, where we build a bond. Um, and that, that's actually one of the, the funniest memories I remember from Pennsylvania because many times he was also a friend and that would have been one of those times where he was. And, um, 
it's actually 10 years before my mom found out about that. Um, <laughs> it, it slipped one time after we relocated to North Carolina. Um, I, I, and I think it was actually my fault. My mom, the look on my mom's face, she was so mortified that we had gone that long without ever telling her. And she was like, why didn't you say anything? And I said, well, dad said it best in the most simple way. He kissed those BB guns goodbye. And, you know, that was my favorite thing to do was go outside and shoot little army men or um, the little targets uh, dad would buy me. And I loved it. Um, learned a lot. So we, um, we relocated where we lived in Pennsylvania again. Uh, not a lot there. Um, and there's even less there today. I, 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 looking at Pennsylvania, you know, when a lot of the mills left, a lot of the people left and it just left buildings. Um, and dad's company was one of the next ones to leave said, Hey, we can't do this anymore. It's not a good area for what we're doing. We're closing this plant. Um, and they did pretty good about keeping that from us. Uh, but when they told us, they said, Hey, you know, we have to move. Um, what my, my dad did, um, mechanical engineering dealt with power plants, stuff I never understood. Um, quite often when we'd ask my dad a question, we'd say in three or less sentences, explain this, give him about 20 minutes. And he'd then explain it to you. And you still didn't understand most of it, but at least you didn't get a dissertation, you know, um, and they told us we there was um, Salt Lake City we could move to. There was, um, I, I think it was Houston, Texas, a city in New Jersey, and Raleigh. Well, the first place we came was Raleigh, and we didn't even look at any of the other cities. Um, we came here and knew immediately. Um, we started working with a real estate agent who wasn't Dan Cortine, you know, but still a good one. I mean, they were acceptable, uh, having not known Dan at the time. <laughs> And she helped us find our first house. And we moved in um, in the middle of my seventh grade year, uh, started school, and it was fine. You know, I didn't know anything. I thought it was very interesting. The first thing anyone said to me when I started school here in North Carolina was, who do you cheer for? I went, by the time I got to school, I got there second period, um, and mom finished filing all the paperwork in the office. It, first period was over. Second period, I sat next to this kid. He looked at me. He goes, who do you cheer for? And I was like, and what? I don't know. He goes, in college basketball, and where I'm from in Pennsylvania, you, no one knows college basketball. We don't do that. We don't know what that is. Um, it was Penn State football, and then you had the rest of the year. Um, and <laughs> I, I remember him uh, wearing a Carolina shirt, and I was like, you know, I'm a Carolina fan because I didn't even know my other options. So I just saw his shirt say Carolina basketball. That's who I cheered for. Um, and then, you know, just going through the motions, um, that was a big time where, um, Wake County was redrawing the lines it, what felt like every couple of weeks. So I shuffled around a bunch of schools. Um, and I remember I finally was at a stable school for two consecutive years and ended up being uh, Middle Creek, the high school I attended. Um, you know, it wasn't one of those things where we moved around a lot, but uh, we didn't move around at all. I've lived in two houses with my parents. Um, but the way the lines were drawn, you were making new friends every year because you were at a different school every year. Um, but I, I had just gotten my license and mom and dad, uh, you know, asked us all to come out and said, Hey, can we, can we talk to you? And we, we are always very happy go lucky, um, cracking jokes more than being serious. Um, cause life is too serious as it is. And my dad told us, he said, Hey, um, 
went to the doctors, some things weren't feeling right, went to the doctors of kidney cancer. And uh, that's actually the first time I ever remember hearing that, that word or even the phrase kidney cancer. I, it's like I knew, can't, I, I knew nothing about cancer. I didn't know what it was. So I was like, you know, what is that like? And they kind of told us, gave us the steps of what would happen. And um, we, we were like, well, what do we do? You know, we, at that point, we hadn't been here but seven, eight years. We knew nothing. Um, and he, he ended up having his kidney removed. And um, I remember that was one of those times where I, I took what he taught me and, and helped. You know, um, 16 years old, and you wonder how you can help it. You can help take care of your siblings. And mom, mom was at the hospital with him, and uh, someone had to be there. Uh, we had people come in from Pennsylvania. We have an aunt and uncle, um, and then my aunt's um, mother lives uh, in Jacksonville, North Carolina. So uh, my mom's aunt Janet came and stayed for a while. But a lot of it, you know, I felt like whether I did or did not feel like I or was helping a lot, I felt like I was there kind of being some stability in our household while we did have adults there. They didn't live with us, you know? Um, and uh, th things were good. You know, dad kept getting clean bills of health after that. Um, he, he was supposed to be out of work for a while after that. And he, you know, he was kind of calling his boss like, Hey, can I come back? And that, that was just kind of the thing he did. You know, he offered, us the experience of seeing what a good work ethic was um even to this <laughs> to this day i you know i've done like um work with friends and family you know in yards and whatnot and they're like how do you work that hard like how do you keep going well my dad taught me that taught you know you got to work hard you need something done you have to do it there's no other option um so you know that that was another one of those things where um i was grateful that he taught me something there that I would then be able to use in my life. Um, so we, we fast forward clean bills of health. Um, and it was good. You know, we were like, this, this is done. And a couple years later, uh, I don't remember how far later I may have been in college by then. Um, he was diagnosed with something called renal cell carcinoma. And I was over here, mom texted me. I copied it out of the text and Googled it. Cause I didn't even know what that meant. Um, that's not typically a cancer anyone survives. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's in your adrenal gland, um, which makes up what gives you adrenaline. Uh, you don't typically survive that. Uh, but he did. <laughs> he did some, somehow, man. Um, and I, I tell you, one of those things is his faith never wavered, never once. Um, And that, that would have been another thing he taught us. Um, have faith even when if things aren't great, you know. Still still rely. And uh, he he started doing these treatments. And I, I if I understood correctly, they were just trials. And um, we'd get to check marks in this trial. And they're like, oh, he's doing well. Um, doing, you know, doing really well. And um, we've got some news that uh, uh, not related, well, related to my dad, but not his medical news that um, another person on this treatment made it six months and, before they passed. And dad was closing in on six months. So that, you know, 
you start worrying in the back of your head, you know, what's going to happen? Dad's past the six month mark, you know, again, just being so strong in his faith. And just kept, he just kept going. And my, my understanding is that he is the only person to ever finish this treatment. Is my, that, that has been my understanding of this whole thing. And um, his, his patient number for this trial is in medical books where you can look up and it, it talks about patient, what number, what have you, I don't know it, um, and the success for it. <laughs> um, to the point where my parents were asked to um, speak at boards. Um, my dad started out at Wake Med um, in Cary before it returned and he was moved to, to Maine Duke. Um, I, I always tell people, as far as teams that I cheer for, it's never been Duke basketball, but always Duke oncology. Um, and that's no offense to you, Dan. That's just, just where it's at. Uh, um, so teams at Duke I cheer for would always have been Duke Oncology. You know, you hope they take you to the national championship every time you see them. Uh, so dad was there. And, um, oh, my little rant, I got sidetracked. Um, he, <laughs> Dan, help me out. Where was I? You're talking about um, your father um being the the case studies and your mom <laughs> so with that being one of the only people and i i think i want to speak in absolutes i think he was the only person to finish it he was asked to then go before um oncology boards and kind of talk about it and apparently part of this is you know you want to be like you know this is how the medicine helped me this is what it did and my dad went before these boards and talked about his faith he said, you know, he, he, he prayed through the whole thing. He um, was very firm in his beliefs that it wasn't, it, it wasn't the doctors alone that kept him alive. It was God working through the doctors. And uh, I remember when they got home from that first board um, discussion, they said that he would never, he was like, well, that will never be welcome back because they wanted to hear how their medicine worked, not, <laughs> not how his faith worked through them. And believe it or not, he was back a couple more times. And I don't remember how many. Um, but I remember that being another opportunity where he he taught me a lesson. Um, and then uh, I remember the week before I was supposed to graduate college. Um, uh, mom FaceTimed me. And when I accepted it, I, I thought she just wanted to talk. Um, my family, we're loud Italians. We have to see each other because we talk with our hands and, you know, you can't see that over the phone. Um, we were FaceTiming and I remember uh, this picture is just visually burned into my head. My dad was sitting at the kitchen table with his thumb on his um, chin like this, trying to figure out how to spit out some words. And my phone died. And I was like, oh God, this, I, I need to know what happened here. So um, I used uh, my now wife's phone and called him and kind of said, hey, what's going on? And they were like, we need you to FaceTime us. They told me, you know, his cancer was back. Um, I, I don't remember where it was this time. Um, it's all been a blur. And they said, you know, we, we don't know. It's back. We've had so many clean bills of health. Um, you know, hearing it's back was not something we ever thought we would hear again. Uh, but I, I remember them being so surprised that it was back. 
Um, dad, dad almost felt disappointed to tell us it was back. And, you know, we said, you know, there are no faults here. Um, it's back. God has a plan. We'll get through this like we have everything else. Uh, and I remember my dad, <laughs> uh, I think it was, I think it was this weekend where, um, he was supposed to start chemo for this cancer. And he looked at the doctor and he goes, can we wait a couple of days? I have tickets to the hockey game this weekend with my family. And the doctor was like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah, what's a couple of days? You don't know how long the cancer has been back. So what's a couple of days? And the doctor was like, yeah, sure. If you want. And I remember we all went to the hurricanes game together, um, to see the, the hurricanes beat up on the flyers, which is always a joy. Um, and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> we moved, uh, we went home and moved on to starting those, those chemo treatments. And it, it was something, man, um, this chemo, I keep saying chemo that that's not a fair term. I, it, at some point it transitioned to, um, something else. I can't think of the name, um, a little more tame than chemo, a little more able to handle, but he transitioned to starting this treatment and uh, he just, he kept going with it. And I remember this treatment was wild. Um, one of the side effects on it was that he was constantly dealing with his hair changing color. You know, you think of that horse in uh, the wizard of Oz, a horse of a different color. Well, I had a dad with hair of a different color. Sometimes You'd go visit him. His hair was as dark as it always was. And other days you'd go and it was completely gray. And, and we're not talking weeks. We're not talking months. We're talking days. Uh, and that was one of those treatments. And, you know, he just, he, it was one of those, he just kept persevering. And then after that, he, the treatment would move on and, and his skin started peeling. I mean, the man would get up from his chair and it would leave an outline of where he was. Never once complained. Uh, an agonizing pain. Everyone's complained. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, I get upset when I have to go get a filling replaced or fixed. And he's over here literally fighting for his life. Never says a word. Acts like it's all normal. It's pretty profound, really. Um, he just kept going on with... Um, with these treatments. And I remember that something happened with, at war, his, um, at my mom's work and she couldn't take him to one of his treatments. And we always liked for someone to go with him being that he didn't know how he was going to feel after Duke's 45 minutes from their house. Just, just a safe, safe bet to have someone with him. I said, I'll go. Man, that's like nothing you've ever seen. You know, people were going to the movies to see superheroes. You want to see superheroes, you're going to an oncology wing. Uh, the spirit these people have is beyond what you would see with anyone. Um, really uplifting to see, you know, people who are just there fighting and giving it their all. Uh, truthfully, uh, an amazing thing to see. I, re I remember going back in the room with dad. Uh, and sometimes, uh, I don't know if it was like this for him, but sometimes you would do these treatments and um, you'd be in a room where you could talk to other people, other patients. Um, they'd really just kind of put you in a circle, hooked up to whatever IV you were getting. And 
you could talk, but uh, this particular time, uh, we we had our room that overlooked, um, you know, some windows that overlooked part of the campus we could see. And he just sat there and took the treatment. And I remember the whole time, man, this is amazing. Um, it just kept going. Faith never wavered. Um, love for us never wavered. And he just kept going. And after that, you know, things cleared up. We were doing well, um, doing pretty good. He, oh, and to preface all this, while fighting um, for his life through cancer, he also earned his doctorate in mechanical engineering from Penn State. Uh, like, no, nothing slowed this man down. It, truthfully amazing. Um, and... Uh, you know, clean, clean uh, bills of health, doing pretty well. There may have been a um, a time here or there where things were a little bit shaky, but overall, pretty good. So we had some clean bills of health there for a while. It's really good. I remember, um, you know, uh, everyone says there comes a point where the kid starts taking care of their family or their parents. Um, you know, at some point that changes and you feel like you're starting to take care of them. And while I, I by no means was taking care of my parents, I did want to be informed of when appointments were. That was hard. They, they didn't want to tell us. Um, not because they wanted to keep anything from us, but there is no day quite like the day you go and have all your scans done. It's a very long day. You know, you don't know what those results are going to yield. You have to have at least in the back of your head that could be back and it could be it. You don't want to have those thoughts, but you have to be, you know, a realist. So they, they, um, they would try not to tell us when they could. And I, I remember that being a little bit of confrontation for me. I, I would rather know ahead of time than find out after the fact. And, um, it, you know, it'd be something bad like, oh, hey, we had an appointment. Not, not good. Um, I would have liked to know ahead of time, but I realized um, now that being a father's, it was just one of those times where they were trying to protect us. You know, um, like I said, it, it, there's nothing like it. it it's tough. And uh, because of that, you know, I, I'm a school teacher, and to think about all that in the back of my head while wrangling 20 kids all day um, would be a lot, you know, weigh heavily on you. Um, fast forwarding a while, um, Dad, at one point, Dad had cancer appear in his his shoulder. Now, it, it was still considered, my understanding was it's still considered kidney cancer, being that, you know, it, it started in his kidney. It sounds like wherever the initial um, spot is, that's where, um, that that's the kind of cancer you have. That's where it's at. Guys fighting, um, doing well. You know, sometimes we get bad news, and, you know, he, he never wavered. I remember one time my dad was shoved a week. My parents have a swimming pool and, you know, being an engineer, my dad wasn't calling anyone to fix anything. Um, engineers, in addition to being smart and crafty, they are stubborn. And he was like, I'll dig this hole up. Never mind, he had cancer in his shoulder. Um, after that, that night, he had some pain going on. Couldn't, couldn't shake the pain, couldn't shake it. 
trying everything, went to the doctor, did an x-ray. He broke his arm. He was living with a broken arm for, I, I think it ended up being a month. Never, never once complained, um, just assumed his arm was sore from, from the work he did, uh, you know, with having cancer so often it, it was, it was, um, easy for him to have been removed from some of that, the house chores that, you know, are stereo stereotypically assigned to the father. Um, and he, he thought, you know, the whole time, that's all it was. He was just worn out. Um, and they had found that the cancer had eaten, um, basically the joint in his right arm and they replaced it out and they put in a prosthetic again, man, never complained, never said a word. Um, and he just went back to normal and, and I'm over here, like feeling really feeling like I'm about to fall apart. Like, how am I processing this? Uh, (laughs) and he's, he's over here, you know, it happening to him and never says a word. And he just kept going. Um, and then we, we got to a point, I think it was around a little bit after my boys were born. I have twin boys that are just over two. We got to a point where his arm was really starting to bother him again. Um, they said it was common when you have, you know, a shoulder replacement or a joint replacement. Um, you know, the muscles tighten around that and it does cause some pain. And they, they tried everything. Um, the man had more medicine on his, um, desk than CVS has in their pharmacy. Um, and he just trying everything and it, it just, nothing was working. Um, I remember sitting on the couch and getting a text that said, Hey, um, he's got to have his arm removed. And that, that was hard. Um, and being who my dad was light spirits, um, being, (laughs) uh, he, he made jokes about it. Uh, he, he would say stuff like you can no longer say I'm all right and things like that because he lost his right armor. He'd say, we'd have to find us. We'd have to find someone who was, you know, missing their other hand so we could share a pack of gloves, like anything to, you know, just kind of give us joy. And, um, he even came up with the idea that he was, he wanted our boys dressed up like sharks for Halloween and he was going to be a surfer, <laughs> uh, just anything to kind of make us smile, make us laugh and get through it. And I, I mean, he, he never wavered. He just, he kept going up. A lot of times with amputations, and I found this out um, in my own research, I, I'm a person who, if there's a problem, I have to be able to fix it or find someone who can. Um, you know, people with oncology degrees and different degrees weren't answering my questions. So I was going to get my Facebook degree. I went to Facebook and found some amputee pages. And asked about, I said, you know, is it common to get an infection at amputation? And I was reassured, hey, I had many amputees say, hey, you know, I had five. I had six. One guy told me he did, um, he did um, some infections for two years. And um, with that, dad was on some pretty, pretty serious medicine. Um, and he, he was hooked up to two different things, um, a vacuum port to keep his arm kind of open, but, um, contained 
as well as an IV that he would have to um, administer. Well, my mom would administer twice a day. Um, oddly enough, with one hand, you can't administer your own IV. Who would have thought, you know? Um, <laughs> but, he, you know, he was happy. He he was upset that this, this treatment wasn't working, but he found joy in family. He found joy with um, being a grandfather, seeing those boys. Um, gosh, with, with one arm feeling terrible, he would be on the floor crawling around with them. And it, it was good. But I, sometimes I think his grandchildren kept him longer than any treatment he was getting. So we went through the the first. Um, it's like a forty five day um, antibiotic, IV antibiotic, in addition to some oral antibiotics. Cleared up for a little bit, uh, and not long after that, we were back at it. Another. 30, 45 days on, on, I mean, we started fresh and you know, uh, you try to reassure mom, Hey, no, it's fine. You know, this is what, you know, this is what the doctors are saying. This is what amputees have shared with me, uh, that, you know, I, I think we're good again, you know, taking what dad taught me. It's okay. We got this. We have our faith. We're praying. We're going to be good. Um, we do the second treatment, uh, same story. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not cutting it. And then, um, that, that fast forwards us up to, uh, August. He had his arm amputated August of 21. Um, he has an appointment and, uh, um, he goes, um, for the appointment and he's, He's not really making much sense. Um, saying things didn't make sense. You know, nothing nothing rude, bizarre, just stuff that, you know, flat out didn't make sense. Um, they get a call on the way home and says, you need to go, um, you need to go back to the hospital. Um, uh, and I want to say it was his calcium levels were low. Um, and previously he was admitted for um, his sodium levels being low. And they said either one of those would cause him to be, you know, almost in a, like a delirious state where he wouldn't make sense. Um, you know, at this point he had a rubber, not a rubber, a plastic three drawer container with all the medicines he was taking daily. Um, but again, never wavered. I, I thought, I thought, how could this man ever eat when he's got all of these pills he's taking? Like his stomach has to be full. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, it, I think it was December 23rd. Uh, uh, they, they said, you know, you have some pretty low levels. They admit him and they, they're like, we're going to do another clean out. Um, before each IV, um, treatment, they do a clean out. And with that clean out, they put you in a sterile operating room. They scrape everything out possible um, of the infection. Um, th this time they're like, we're not going to do a clean out. We're, we're just going to look. We're going to try to figure out what's causing this infection. They get to his um, kind of this exploratory look and see that cancer's everywhere. I'm, I'm just everywhere. Um, 
And the hard part was it never showed up on any scan because they do a very um, zoomed in part. They don't go very far outside of where the cancer was most recently to check for it. Um, and I don't, I don't remember those numbers, you know, unfortunately it doesn't matter. It was just the cancer was outside the range of where they looked. That was everywhere. And, um, that was heartbreaking. You know, you, you think about Christmas as being such a good time and, um, or you hope it is. And then you kind of get this news and, you know, that was very hard. I, going back to things dad taught me, I had my brother and sister were at my house every day. Dad was at the hospital. Um, we actually did that for Thanksgiving as well. My wife and her mother made sure that we had a Thanksgiving, you know, specifically my brother and sister who were, um, without, uh, my, my mom and dad at home wanted to make sure they were taken care of. We had them over, tried to stay in high spirits, played games. And then we get that news, you know, Hey, it's everywhere. We had, we were told we had two options. Um, option one would have been what I would call pretty barbaric where, um, basically they would have taken most of his right side and just completely removed it. Um, they said it would look, you know, going back to the Halloween shark bite, uh, idea said it would look like as if he were bitten by a shark. They told us he would probably, if he survived, he'd probably never leave the hospital again. Um, not that was it. And that, and that was even if he did survive the surgery, uh, the odds of him of surviving were minuscule at best. So then we looked at the second option. Uh, the second option was, you know, looking at like a palliative care to hospice care thing where, um, he would be able to come home where he wanted to be and he, you know, could live out his days at home. His last option that he ever wanted, or the last thing he ever wanted, not an option, was to be in the hospital. You know, with COVID still being pretty prominent in um, December of last year and January of this year, they were very restrictive as to who could go see him. Um, you know, ju not just because, you know, it's a hospital and they're being careful, but also um, COVID for a cancer patient, it, it, you know, that's not something you want to mix. Uh, he wanted to be home where he could be around all of us, um, and especially his grandsons. Now he never said, especially, but you know, we're smart enough to know. <laughs> um, and he wanted to be around us all of his days, um, that he had left. And he, they told us, uh, I want to say it was new year's Eve, 2021, they told us he had about six months, six months to a year, year, you know, being absolutely lucky as possible. Um, the, the Tuesday after he was discharged with, um, with this, um, you know, plan of hospice care, uh, he, he, he wasn't doing the, the greatest mom was staying home from work, um, to be with him daily because, um, you know, again, he was kind of struggling with, you know, keeping track of, you know, his thoughts there, uh, in, you know, making sure that he was safe because he was struggling with how things were, um, you know, playing out. He didn't know, um, very, very much as far as, 
you know, procedures, even going to the bathroom was a bit of a struggle for him. Um, or, you know, tasks similar to that we find very simple. Um, and hit, um, that night, mom goes, you know, I, I think we need you over here. Um, we had just sat down to dinner at my house and I get a call and she's, you know, you need to come over. And I go over and he is, he's really struggling and we, we don't, we don't know why. Um, we call, we call the hospice care number. You're, I guess with hospice care, you're always to call them before like 911 or anything. And they come over and help us. And, um, you know, she's, she said, I, I believe he's had a stroke and, and may, maybe today, maybe in the last 24 hours, I believe he's had a stroke. You know, your options would be to, um, start the comfort care side of hospice, or we could take him to the, the emergency room and see if he truthfully had a stroke or what have you. Um, but that was, that was another time where we had to weigh our options, think about what he taught us and what his wishes were. His wishes were to always be around his family. He was a family man. And I, I think that's why he fought so long. Um, and we, we decided that we would start his, his comfort care, um, based on his wishes and what we thought was best because his wishes were to pass at home. Um, and we knew if he went to the ER that night, he was never being discharged. That, that was guaranteed. Um, and he wanted to go at home and that was hard. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember that night we, my wife and I left their house at 5 AM. We had to go home quickly, put in for subs. And, uh, we're both school teachers, put in for substitutes and write lesson plans <laughs> um, within the next couple hours because school was about to start. Um, and we were back at it the next day, uh, trying to help take care of him and making sure he was as comfortable as could be. When it was all said and done, uh, his six months to a year became exactly one week from his discharge, almost down to the minute. Um, almost, you know, he was discharged, um, at four o'clock, like four, four fifteen on a Friday, the following Friday, uh, we wrote down, he'd passed at four eighteen. and down to the minute he, he fought as hard as he could, as long as he could. Um, we, you know, we were told of all these people who, you know, are dead in five or six months from the diagnosis of any one of the cancers he had. I mean, fought for 15 years. And that it's one of those things where you look and you think, I wish I could have had more time. You really do. But I got so much more time than any anyone else whose loved one had those diagnoses. Just so much more time. Uh, you know, and you kind of feel selfish. I, I was given essentially 14 and a half years longer 
than the next longest case, and that wasn't enough. And you have to remind yourself that, uh, you know, he's still here today. And he's still here through uh, the way he taught you to parent, taught you uh, how to work with your hands, how to be um, a good husband, um, a good sibling, a good member of your church, and helping uh, just any way you can, being selfless, uh, putting others first. Uh, you know, next week, or I guess in about a week and a half, it'll have been three months. Every day I still see things that I'm like, he would have been proud of this. Because <laughs> even when we faltered, uh, made a mistake, we, you know, did an accident, it was, he, he, the man was never quick to anger unless he was watching a sporting event. Um, he was always proud of us. Because he um, he knew how we would bounce back from anything that we um, struggled with, and now I, the most you know severe thing uh, any of my three siblings ever did was my my sister tends to drive like her car is a bumper car, um, and I got a speeding ticket once. Not not severe things, and he knew like he always was proud of us for how we would bounce back. Uh, he always reassured us that things were okay. He was always accepting it. He's, you know, he's part of the reason I became an educator. Um, Unfortunately, many kids don't have father figures at all. And that's hard. How any kid goes through life without a father figure of sorts, um, seems very nearly impossible. Uh, and that was one of the reasons that I wanted to become a teacher. These kids need parents, man. They need fathers. And, uh, and I'm not just talking about the kids who don't know who their father is or they don't live with dad. I'm, I'm including the kids who live with mom and dad, but they live the same life as a kid who doesn't live with mom and dad because of mom and dad's work schedule. Because, you know, dad's traveling or, you know, dad's busy. Kids need a father figure. And uh, for eight hours a day, I can be that. Can lead by example. Can work through situations. Can help the kids, you know, you know, then become good role models for kids younger than, than them. And then when they're adults, they can be good role models for adults younger than them and then the children around them. And I, I just always wanted to do, to do that because of what he did for me. He, he took me in as his own and, um, he, he is a real father. Um, going back to that definition from the beginning, uh, he was like none other. Oh, People talk about the the joy of winning the lottery, and I feel like when my mom met him, I I did. Her and I both did. And to have him for so long um, was a 
was great. It, it really was. Um, the lessons he taught us, <laughs> the trouble we got into together, um, the trouble he, he would talk us, talk me through or, um, issues we had. I mean, he just really, really shared what it was like to, to be a good person, to be caring, um, to help others. And I will just be forever grateful for that. Well, Elliot, you um, you are one of my favorite people in this entire world. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing Elliot and Sarah for a few years, and uh, this guy right here is one of the biggest teddy bears you'll ever meet. Um, I think your story is a perfect way for Chris and I are wrapping up season two of our show. Um. I think your story is a perfect way to end our season because we've had so many of our talks have focused on the grief after losing our loved ones and you're you're still just at the beginning of that stage yeah. um but your grief really I mean you've had what you say 14 years it seems of of the preparation stages of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing that stands out to me the most is the legacy that this man built for you and for your two twin boys and for their kids. And there are a bunch of dads who listen to this show who fight every day. And Chris and I have talked about it a million times of what a fight it is every single day to go on living after we lose someone we loved. And I think your story hopefully is going to be an inspiration to every one of us listening that it sucks and it's hard, but we need, we need to keep fighting for the legacy of our family. So, um, Elliot, we have just a couple minutes. Um, I'm going to let Chris jump in if he has anything. Yeah, no, Elliot, I'm first off, I'm sorry for your loss. And, um, it sounds like he was an amazing man and I wish I could have met him to be honest with you because it sounds amazing. And, um, now I'm going to throw it back to Dan and Elliot there. I, I don't want to take up too much time, but, uh, I am sorry for your loss, and we're always here to help any way we can. I appreciate that. So, Elliot, what I want you to end with, because um, I know, obviously, being friends, I know your story. I know your heart a lot more than most. And in about a minute or two, um, I want to focus in on the, the legacy part. Um, you, you've done a beautiful job sharing the legacy that this man built for you. And... Yes. I know the plan that you shared with me of what you want to start doing with some videos. Can you just share that in a minute or two? And I think, again, I hope people will hear this as an inspiration to just keep fighting every day, as hard as it is. But we've got to keep trying to make an impact on the people around us. So can you share that just amazing idea that you came up with? Yeah, absolutely. Uh so, like I said, you know, I'm a person who, um, there's an issue that needs to be fixed. I'm going to fix it or I'm going to find someone who can. And I, I think that 
along with all the things my dad taught me, it was, you know, he taught me, you know, things, if they can be fixed, you can fix it. Uh, and I, I think about these kids who don't have dads or their dads can't. Some, some dads are as present as can be, but still can't do things due to illness, um, due to struggles. I mean, there are a million reasons why a child needs another father figure. Um, you know, some dads, they just haven't experienced um, what others have. And I, I reached out to some of the very strong men in my life and I came up with this idea. I want to come up with, because um, I'm a dad, I have to have a dad joke here came up with something called dad vice where um, we would give feedback and help on things that typically a dad might teach you. I, I think a lot about um, like my dad taught me how to shave. Some kids don't have a dad to teach them how to do that. Or, um, you know, my dad taught me how to open a bank account. <laughs> my dad, you know, taught me how to use a drill. Uh, and you learn a lot of these things from your father um and some kids don't have the opportunity to learn those things from their father but they can learn it from a father or just a, you know a really good role model um one thing my dad didn't teach me and i'm gonna have to use one of these videos myself would be how to tie a tie I, my dad wasn't a tie wearer so um that was one of the that was one of the first things i thought of was you know we could teach you make a video, kids have tie a tie and, you know, other important things. How do you present yourself at an interview? How do you do a resume? If people still balance checkbooks, how do you do that? Because no one knows how to do that. Um, and I, I just thought it would be a really good way to be honoring to the fathers who are lost to help their children um, with things that they were not able to get to in their life for whatever reason it may be. Um, and we're going to work with Dan a little bit on this. I think our, our plan right now is going to be to create a page on Jameson's Joy uh, where we can put these things and uh, really try to help people. Um, that's what my dad would want. Um, he would want. He would want you to show that you're grateful and that you're willing to help others when you can. And this is one way that we could do it. We can take what our dads have taught us, what we have learned as dads, and then help others. Um, I, I think that's important. Um, so many people feel that they're alone in this world, and there are billions of us. Let, let's start helping each other. I mean, it's it's hard. We're all recovering from a pandemic that no one has ever had to go through before. Uh, and we're all coming out a little fragile, and we should all be out ready to help each other. Absolutely. And I think, again, that's the perfect way. Chris and I have shared numerous times, we're doing this show because we're helping each other. And if at the very least, Chris and I help each other. And thankfully, we know that we have been able to help a few, at least a few other people through their grief. And Again, I want your story to be an encouragement to the dads out there who are struggling, and moms, everybody, yeah. to keep fighting. Um, surround yourself with people who love you, who care about you, who can carry you through the hard times, but keep fighting and keep building that legacy and helping other people in whatever way 
is meaningful to you. Um, I, I absolutely love your idea. I love you, buddy. Um, and I'm super thankful that you came on and shared your story. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Chris, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that dad vice is a great idea. Uh, I love it. Um, yeah, dads are so important, so undervalued in our society today for some reason. And uh, anything you can do to help, I think that'd be great. Count me in. I'll help out any way I can. Sounds um, good. Love to help out any way I can. Yeah, because that's ultimately Chris and I had that discussion when we very first started this. I want to honor Jameson. He wants to honor Mason. Um, and you want to honor your, I don't know, stepdad or dad. Whatever. Oh, he's my dad. He's your dad. Uh, truthfully, he, he was my pop. I, I didn't feel like, cause everyone said the, my biological father was my dad. And I was like, no, dads suck. So I cannot call the person that is my father. Dad can't do it. So he, he was my pop, my, my yeah. 30 years of being with him. Yep. I, I couldn't couldn't say dad because that felt like an insult to him. Yep. Being that the only experience I knew of a dad was someone who walked the second they could. So he he was my pop. Yeah. And I'm thankful that you had him in your life. So well, Elliot, thank you, buddy, for coming on and sharing. Um I think you have such a powerful message for people to hear about fighting. And just always Absolutely. fighting. So thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. All right, all right. So got everybody. Thank you as always for listening. Uh, WMQL Radio in Brevard. We thank you for airing our show every week and helping us spread messages like Elliot's. Um, it's a big, powerful one. And as always, if you have any questions at all, if you have questions for Elliot about just the fight that he went through with his pop uh, going through cancer for so long. Um, you can reach out to Chris and I at the uh, the usual Miles for Mason and Jameson's Joy contact points. And uh, we're just so thankful for everybody that listens and, and helps us share these stories. And with that, we will close another episode of A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache.